Welcome to ABC, Abergavenny Baptist Church, building faith and friendship. You are listening to a sermon series through the Gospel of Mark, entitled, Who is this guy? Jesus. Who is this guy? Jesus. We're starting a new series this morning through the Gospel of Mark. And one of the pressing issues in the Gospel of Mark, especially within the first eight chapters, is the identity of Jesus. Who is this guy? And Christianity is all about Jesus, so it's a good question. Now Mark's Gospel is written anonymously. The writer doesn't tell us who he is. But very early church tradition claims that John Mark, one of the traveling companions of Paul and one of the traveling companions of Peter, one of the twelve disciples, is the person who wrote this gospel. And early church tradition says that Mark was Peter's interpreter. In other words, Mark wrote down the personal experiences and the personal witness of Peter. And Mark's gospel is the first gospel to be written. It's the earliest biography of the life of Jesus. But it's more than a biography. It's a proclamation of the good news of salvation that is found in Jesus. The word gospel literally means good news. And Mark starts his gospel by simply stating in verse 1, In the beginning of the good news about Jesus, the Messiah, the Son of God. Right at the outset, Mark tells us something that all the characters in the gospel don't know. He tells us the true identity of Jesus. The Messiah. The Son of God. Now the word Messiah is sometimes translated Christ. I always thought that uh, Christ was Jesus' surname. Mr. Christ. But it's not a surname. It's a title that literally means anointed one. The Hebrew for anointed one is Messiah and the Greek is Christos. But figuratively, it refers to God's chosen or appointed king. For in the Old Testament, when a king was appointed, he would be anointed with oil as a sign that he was the chosen king. He was the appointed king. Yet God's true king would be anointed with the Holy Spirit. And similarly, the phrase, the Son of God, was also a title for the king. For the appointed chosen king. So for example, in Psalm chapter 2 and verse 7, the king speaks. And he says, I will proclaim the Lord's decree. He said to me, You are my son. Today I have become your father. 
So right at the outset, Mark is telling us that Jesus is God's appointed king, the Messiah. Now, picture this this scene. Uh, It's about 30 AD, and the Romans have invaded Israel. They are occupying the land. And you can see this on the the map. And in the south, the the area south of Israel is called Judah. And over there, it was being governed by a Roman military leader. Up in the north, in an area called Galilee, it was being governed by a Jewish puppet king called Herod. Son of Herod the Great. And the Romans had obviously invaded the land and they were exploiting the local people with very high taxes. And as a result, the Jewish people were feeling this is not the way it's meant to be. This is not how God intended it to be. The world is upside down. And so they turned back to their their scriptures, to the prophecies of old. And they started rereading scripture in the light of their current situation. So they reread the story of the Exodus. How God rescued them from, being in, from slavery in Egypt through his servant Moses. How God led them through the Red Sea. How God called them his firstborn son. And then how, after 40 years of wandering around the wilderness, how God, through Joshua, led them through the Jordan River and into the promised land, their inheritance. And so they started longing that God would send them a new Moses, a new Joshua, who would rescue them from the Romans in a kind of new exodus. And they also started rereading some of their old prophecies about when they were in exile in Babylon because they had turned their backs on God and how God had promised that if they turned back to Him, He would rescue them again. He would come and rescue them again through His servant, His chosen King, the Anointed One, the Messiah. And so they were longing and waiting for God to step into history through His Messiah and to put the world to right. In other words, they were waiting for the Messiah to come and to usher in the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God is the realm where God rules, where God's will is done. You see, at the moment, the world's upside down. And evil and sin and death rule the world. And so they were longing for God's Messiah to come and usher in God's kingdom and to turn this upside down world the right way up. And these these prophecies of old said that there would be a forerunner, a voice, a messenger, a A prophet like Elijah who would herald the day. And so we read in verse 2, it says, As it is written in Isaiah the prophet, I will send my messenger ahead of you who will prepare your way. A voice 
of one calling in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord, make straight paths for Him. Can you imagine a scene, uh, an, a, an army camp, where all the soldiers are lazing around, minding their own business, without a care in the world, and all of a sudden they see this car racing up, blowing its hooter, and there's a guy hanging out the window, shouting, The President's coming! The president's coming. And the soldiers look up in the distance and they see a convoy of cars. The president's entourage. Suddenly there is panic. Everyone starts rushing around, sorting things out, sorting out their uniform, making sure everything is just right for the president's arrival. This is what's happening. This is what John is doing. He's that herald. And he's, he's the herald in the wilderness and he's announcing, God's coming! God's coming! And as a result, all the people in Jerusalem and in the area of Judea are, are coming to him to be baptized, to be ritually cleansed, to be ready for God's arrival. And that's why uh, John is described wearing camel's clothes and a leather belt because these are the exact clothes that the prophet Elijah wore. And this is to make it abundantly clear that he is a prophet like Elijah who would announce the coming of God's Messiah. And it's at this point that Jesus suddenly appears within the Gospel. And in verses 9 to 10, we read it how John baptizes Jesus and as Jesus comes out of the water, how the Holy Spirit comes down onto Jesus gently like a dove. And then we read in verse 11, where it says, And a voice came from heaven, You are my Son, whom I love. With you I am well pleased. Now the original readers would be thinking, I, I recognize this language. This is like... That's Psalm 2 and verse 7, where it speaks about the king being the son of God. They would also have been thinking, this is very similar to the prophecies in Isaiah, in Isaiah chapter 42, where God says, Here is my servant whom I uphold, my chosen one in whom I delight. I will put my spirit on him, and he will bring justice salvation to the nations. And so they'll be thinking, oh, we recognize this. This is talking about Jesus being the true king, the chosen king, the Messiah. But this, a voice from heaven and the Holy Spirit literally falling down and upon Jesus, this seems to be suggesting that it's more than a human Messiah. This seems to be suggesting that it's God's own Son, His unique Son. And in some way, this is God Himself. It's very interesting that in Mark's Gospel, a voice from heaven twice declares that Jesus is the Son of God. And demons continually recognize Jesus as the Son of God. But it's only when Jesus dies that the first person, a Roman soldier, declares, Surely 
This guy is the Son of God. But even though Jesus is the Son of God, He isn't distant. He comes to us and He identifies with us. Why does Jesus get baptized? Well, just as the people of God, the Israelites, went through the Red Sea in order to be freed from slavery in Egypt, the story of the Exodus, so too does Jesus go through the waters. He identifies with them. Also, we read in verse 12 and 13, at once the Spirit sent him out into the wilderness, and he was in the wilderness 40 days, being tempted by Satan. He was with wild animals, and angels attended him. Why was Jesus being tempted for 40 days in the wilderness? Well, the Israelites, the people of God, had been in the desert for 40 years, being tested and tempted by Satan. And so does Jesus. He identifies with But the Israelites and all humanity give in to temptation. They give in to sin. And as a result, they become a slave to sin. They give themselves over to sin and to wrongdoing. Jesus, when He is tested and tempted, does not give in to sin. He remains faithful to God. And He overcomes temptation. Round one to Jesus. And so we read in verse 14. After John was put into prison, Jesus went into Galilee proclaiming the good news of God. The time has come, he said. The kingdom of God is, has come near. Repent and believe the good news. You see, the Jews of Jesus' day thought that the Romans were the real problem in the world, the real enemy. But they aren't. They're just the symptom of the real enemy, the real problem. The real enemy and the real problem in the world is evil powers and sin and death. And God is coming in Jesus to overcome the real enemy. And to open up a whole new way of forgiveness and salvation. To turn this upside down world the right way up. And when John is put into prison, that is a cue to Jesus that it is now time to act. The moment has arrived. It is time to go public. And so he declares in verse 15, the time has come. And he announces the good news. The kingdom of God has come near. In other words, God is coming to town. God is coming to put the world to right. God is coming to turn this upside down world the right way up. And God is primarily going to do this. Well, not primarily. God is going to do this through the ministry of Jesus. And primarily through the death and the resurrection of Jesus. And so Jesus calls people to repent. That means to turn back to God. 
And he calls people to believe the good news. That's to put your trust in him, to put your faith in him, and believe that he is the Messiah. You see, Jesus calls us to make a decision about who He is and not to sit on the fence. We see this in the story about the fishermen. Jesus calls John and James. He calls Simon, Peter and Andrew. And they drop everything. And they get up and they follow Him. They have no idea where He's going to lead them. They have no idea where they're going to go. They have no idea about the outcome. It's risky. But they see something in Him. They see something of His true identity. They believe He is the Messiah. And so they step out in faith and follow Him. And it's the same for us. God is calling us to put our faith in Jesus and to follow Him. And we don't know where Jesus is going to lead us. It's an adventure. It's risky. We'll have to give up some of our desires. Our selfish desires. And it's often the hardest thing for us to do to make a decision to try faith. But we can trust Jesus because He is the Messiah, the Son of God. And even if you've been following Jesus for many years, God is still calling you to new challenges and new adventures. And that's why we need to be reading the Bible And listening to what God is calling us to. And it will be risky. We too will have to give up some of our selfish desires. But we can trust Him. Because He is the Messiah. The Son of God. And if you decide to put your faith in Jesus. And to follow Jesus. Then you too will experience that voice from heaven saying. You are my child, whom I love. I am well pleased with you. And you too will experience the Holy Spirit, the very presence of God indwelling you and empowering you to follow Jesus. So who do you think this guy Jesus is. This Jew from Nazareth who calls you to trust Him and follow Him. Do you believe that He is the long-awaited Messiah? The Son of God. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we, we thank You that You haven't left us in the mess that we have created. But you come to us in your Messiah, in Jesus. You've come to put the world to right, to defeat the real enemy. And you call us to be a part of that. You call us to join in to that great adventure. And Father, we confess that so often we, we are fearful because it's risky. 
It's giving up everything we know, our security. It's putting our trust in you. Father, won't you help us to take that step of faith? To trust you. To follow you. And Father, we pray that you would fill us afresh with your Holy Spirit. Your very presence. That it would indwell us and empower us and enable us to become the people you have called us to be. Father, won't you let us hear you say to us afresh, you are my child. I love you. I am well pleased with you. We ask this all in the name of Jesus. Amen.